It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition, a delicious range of sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. You're listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. Coming up on today's episode, I'll be chatting to Emer Kinsler, an Irish composer and violinist who is making waves in Hollywood, writing musical scores for films and television. She'll be telling me all about the work that goes into creating the right sound for a project. But first, the book club will be discussing Anne Patchett's latest offering, The Dutch House. It's a story of two siblings, Danny and Maeve Conroy and their obsessive connection with the house they grew up in. The story is narrated by Danny and reveals how their lives have unfolded over the years. So we convened the book club again. They are Anne Ingle, Neve Towie and Bernice Harrison to talk about what they thought of the Dutch house. Welcome back to our book club. We're all gathered here and we are going to be discussing The Dutch House by Anne Patchett. Now, as usual, I'll just give you the little blurb and then we will kick off with our discussion. Danny Conroy grows up in the Dutch house, a lavish folly in small town Pennsylvania taken on by his property developer father. Though his father is distant and his mother is absent, Danny has his beloved sister Maeve. Maeve with her wall of black hair, her delicacy, her brilliance. Life is comfortable and coherent, played out under the watchful eyes of the house's former owners in the frames of their oil paintings. Then one day their father brings Andrea home. Her arrival will exact a banishment, a banishment whose reverberations will echo for the rest of their lives. And I won't read any more because there's so much in this story. Um, And I'm just going to deviate from our normal thing and just say I absolutely loved this book so much. Um, I just wanted to put it out there because I usually kind of keep a bit neutral to the end, but I loved it so much I'm just going to say it. But then I'll move on to you. Anne Ingle, my mother, what did you think of this book? Oh, well, I'd never read any of Anne Paget's books before, so she was new to me. Um, I Usually I listen on Audible, but I, it wasn't available in Ireland for some reason, which is a pity because Tom Hanks was the reader of oh. the flipping thing. So that was me without him. So I had to get the old Kindle out and with very large print and lots of clicking with my finger, I managed to read it. So the blurb is very extensive there that Roisin has just read out and it tells a a lot of the actual story. But it's a novel about life, relationships, love, independence, death, loyalty, betrayal. It's all there, everything that you could ever wish to think about regarding one another, living with one another. Um, The story kept me going. I I couldn't stop reading it, I have to say that. Um, And the Dutch house... Uh, this, the book covers five decades from the 1940s until the 1990s. And it, it is a, a really it's a really great read. It's like history repeating itself. Things keep happening to the older people and then to the younger people. And it's like there's nothing new in the world because things just keep going. The house really is the main character in the book and it's very well described and I 
love to see it. I'd love to be there. Me too. I imagine looking at a house that you can see from the front right through to the back garden, and it's huge. And there was a lot of steps in it, which didn't do everybody because the man, um, the father, was a, got a bit crotchety and it was hard to go up the steps. But at the same time, it seemed like a fabulous, fabulous house, and you feel that it is definitely drawn very well, and it really came to life for me. But, but yeah, I felt a butt coming on. Did you feel that? In the <laughs> I voice did. There, there always is with I that angle. Just <laughs> always is. It's too positive. <laughs> the, the house, I, I, I got some of the characters. I didn't think were very well defined. You know, some of them had long dark hair, as it says in the blurb, and some of them were blonde. But it was all very kind of superficial. I didn't really get them. I didn't really feel Danny. I didn't really feel Maeve. I got the general description of them. And there's a mother in the book, and as a mother myself, I'm very interested in mothers, and she bothered me a lot because she wasn't the best mother in the world, and uh, I found what she did in the book a little bit unbelievable. But then again... Countess Markovich left the family there in Lizardle House and went off to save Ireland. So I suppose... I love that Countess Markovich has gotten a name check in this book. (laughs) It's so random. It's brilliant. It's true. It's true. She did. She left a four-year-old child there and went off to get women's votes and to battle away and all that carry on. So so that is my thing, that I didn't really... Get and towards the end, it was getting a little bit of improbable, a little bit implausible, and you know I like a bit of reality in my life. But I mean, I will read other books because I believe she, I, I do think she's a great writer, and it was a great read, and you couldn't stop reading it, and that's a, that is the test of the thing. But I'm really more an Anne Tyler person, and I hate to bring in the fact that you know other American writers. When you're talking about Anne Patchett, but I'm sure she's not going to listen, so it doesn't matter. And I, 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 Anne, I, if you're listening, I apologise for my mother. Well, no, but Anne, I would be mm-hmm. Anne Tyler would be my really. And this, my latest thing is Elizabeth Strout, Strout uh, and which I couldn't recommend. Who was on this enough. podcast, and we'll, we'll Very, be putting up that episode soon. She, yeah, she, she is uh, something else. It's a completely different thing, but it is a book that you start reading, you can't stop reading, you want to know what happens to them all in the end, and it is. There's certain parts of it that that I, I felt were a little bit silly and a little bit improbable. But overall, Anne Patchett, she should be uh, applauded for such a, a great read. Okay, I totally disagree with you, funnily enough, about the character thing, because one of the things I was going to say was I just felt I did know these people really well, particularly Maeve, because Maeve is a very unusual person who has grown up in this really dysfunctional, on one level, childhood, but in another way, out of the dysfunction came this solidity in the short form of these um, two, uh, I suppose, servants, who, for want of a better word, who kind of mothered the two kids who were, whose mother had, who wasn't, wasn't there. And there was routine and they knew where they stood and they had this very eccentric father who didn't really behave like, you know, a parent should most of the time. But they were there, they were okay before your woman arrives, I think. But but Maeve, um, I felt like was such an unusual, so protective of her brother, took on that maternal role so much. But anyway, for me, I really did believe in Danny and Maeve, and, so did I, and yeah. even the father, Bernice. What yeah. do you think? Well, I'm an enormous Anne Patchett fan, absolutely okay. enormous. And for anybody who loved this book and had never read Anne Patchett before, I would say read Commonwealth next, and then go on to Bel Canto. Commonwealth is just so fantastic, um, and you can get it on audio in the library, which is I got there as well for a road trip Um, so I love this book I think it's a fantastic page turner Um, I think you know 
at the end of it, and the, the further away I am from it, and I, I read it now maybe six weeks ago, I think, I'm starting to think, what is it like a fairy tale? Mm. Is it in fact a fairy tale of a book? These two mm. orphaned Hansel children lost yeah, in the woods. Good, yeah. um, wicked stepmother. Mm. Uh, and was she wicked really? But anyway, wicked stepmother, because we only know she was wicked from their eyes. We don't know she was wicked. Wicked stepmother, um, absent father, this sort of, house that's it's called the Dutch house but it's not a Dutch house it's in fact this giant big as described in the book it's this giant big arts and crafts house so you can imagine it being absolutely extraordinary Um, and in fact the I'm very interested in how people live in houses and, and what houses mean to people and it struck me that houses were very important in this book you know when Danny grows up the first thing he does He's start. He leaves his medical profession behind. He and I. I'm, I don't want to get into too many spoilers. But he's first thing he does. He buys a house, and he does it. His wife has no say in it, and it becomes sort of a contentious thing in their marriage, where Maeve lives. Maeve chooses all her life, and it's ver- and it's it's constantly referred to in this tiny, tiny, tiny little house that she doesn't own. That that sort of means kind of nothing to her. It's sort of chaotic. But is that a reference back to to her own upbringing in the Dutch house? And of course, the Dutch house as well. It's the weirdness of the Dutch house. And it's all about possessions. And it's all because when the, the, the Conroys move in, the house is completely fully, fully furnished down to the pictures on the wall, the cutlery, the cups and saucers, the previous owners. Everything was left behind. So I thought that was very interesting and in how we relate to our environment and what it means, what our environment actually means to us. So again, I thought that was kind of a whimsical thing for Anne Patch to put in. And then in the end, again, I'm not going to say, it's sort of, that, and that the fairy tale quality of it was, really, you know, let it go. Let all your rows go. Let all your fights go. Let all your personal differences go. Because really, in the end, what is there but just each other? And we all, we all die, you know, like, <laughs> life is fine. But that is kind of the message of the end, just... Stop. Let it go. You said that she wasn't a wicked stepmother. I have to disagree with you there because, like, she the father dies. So I think we can don't say tell too much. Well, yeah, she, but she does yeah. something really despicable. She does. Yes, that is that is not what any sane, non-wicked no, person would okay. do. So yes, I think it's no, fair you're to right. say it, it actually ties in though with with your kind yes, of fairy tale yes, analogy yeah, there. Yeah, that she is quite wicked. Yeah, Neve, what did you think of the book? I probably more on Anne's side than Bernice. Um, I loved it. I thought it was like so broad spectrum. It crosses so many decades it's so meticulous in its description of post-war America and um, it's it really gets the character the father really well I think is he's this self-made man that makes money on property in Manhattan and it's booming and he becomes so obsessed with materialism that it destroys the family that purchase of the Dutch house I think is really key in the whole thing and that it marks the demise and it's always this thorn in their side even though they return to it all of the time Maeve and Danny throughout their whole lives drive back and sit outside the house and just look at it and it's the one thing that they have to remember their childhood and their past even though they weren't really in it that long Um, and I think her description of place and time and um, the context of America at the time is really, really precise. I think where it falls down and I have to agree with Anne here is that I didn't really buy into the characters as much as you did. I found... I found that Maeve and the mother were given this almost saint-like quality and they were elevated above everybody else that there was they could do no wrong, even though everything that the mother did that we would see as the antithesis to motherhood, 
um, it was painted as like this, um, almost like a, a religious journey that she had to go on for herself. And I felt like it, and, and that actually was quite gendered as well. And the, 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 the parallels between what she did and the father. And there's a great um, passage in the book where Maeve says to Danny, you know, she's like uh, the prodigal son, except you don't accept her. The prodigal son we slaughtered the lambs for and you won't even talk to her now that she's home. And I thought that was really Mm -hmm. telling um, in that Danny had no understanding of the fact that Elna had to go away, that this was her um, chasing her own personal needs and fulfilments. and wasn't it really interesting, like how she had to almost abandon motherhood in order to do that? Um, so I, I although I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it, I just felt it was overwrought. Mm. Um, and I, what, the, the mother, the mother, yeah, me too, and I thought actually. she wasn't I, I very rounded. About this yeah, book because I loved it so much. Actually, <laughs> and there wasn't do, a very yeah. satisfying arc to it. No, it wasn't it human. I, I couldn't buy into I that because I didn't believe no, it. No, I didn't. That's, believe. And that's it where was, I was coming in with mm, the implausible. It was really yes, implausible. I, yeah. Was there not mental illness there? Well, I don't know. Was there mental illness? Or was it actually her relationship with the father? And that's the other thing I was going to say. In Which, fairness, if we go back to how she ended up in this house, was because she didn't want to be there. One lunch yeah. hour, he yeah. told her, "I've bought a house," yeah. and he yeah. brought them all there. And he mm. and I just think it was must have been very difficult living with that man completely. As well, yes, oh, yeah. and and she, she because they lived on an army base before that in a tiny little house, and she loved it because she had community around her. She was friends with all the other mothers, and then suddenly she's in living in. This he didn't giant understand mansion. her at all. No. And, and there's a really good line that where Maeve says, "The man didn't know his own he wife. Never met. Yes. Never met." his own yeah. wife yeah. and that was that's very that, clear that's that scene where they go for that lunch in the house and he yeah. she, he he says oh don't worry about the, the dishes the girl will get yeah. it and, and now she's so horrified house, yeah. yes. and she's, she's disgusted yeah. and that, he didn't I felt know like that, that was be. almost like a saint like she was a Mother Teresa character who couldn't look at these women washing the dishes and cooking the dinner it slowly drove her mm. drove her out of yeah. the house drove her out of their lives because she couldn't cope with this standard of living that he had he so wanted he came from nothing and wanted all of the best things and felt like this was a massive gift to be giving his wife Mm. whereas in in actuality they were chains and she 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 had to break free of them all of which I just thought was a bit too fably for me yes yeah it just wasn't very realistic I think real human life is much more complex than that Mm. and they were they were pitched as very like evil versus good type characters. Now she does present, uh, Anne Patch does present this idealised American family, doesn't she? And Danny's wife. Danny's wife's family, they live in this perfect house. They have a dog. You know, the father's a dentist. You know, like it's all perfect. It's perfect American dream. They go to church. They, you know, and actually there's no judgment on them either. They're, th- that seems like a perfectly happy house. Happy house. Mm. So I thought that was kind of interesting. She is presenting all these different options, different houses even, because their house is quite described as well. Yeah. Um, mm. So I think for readers, that's really absorbing. And she's a highly visual writer. I yeah. think you could, I could really see, yeah. I could see it all. Yeah. I could see the house, definitely. The big portraits on the wall <clears> and the bizarreness of the fact that you could walk into a house and everything, even down to the clothes, to pens in yes, the drawers, imagine. everything, you know, that, that was something really, I, I mean, it's extraordinary that mm. that should happen. So I could picture that. The house mm. itself, right, I, I've lived in the house. <laughs> Just the people I couldn't live with. What I think was um, really powerful was, you mentioned it there, they keep coming back every time they meet up. They keep going back and they park outside Did the house. Did you find that a bit 
weird. weird. Well, it was Absolutely a bit weird, weird. I, especially because it was driven by Maeve. I have to say, I did not love Maeve as a character. No. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind that. I, yeah. I, I hatred I of Celeste her. as well. Yeah. Her hatred of um, Danny's wife yes. is very described and really intense yes. and never changes. And we are never we never quite understand why. why? Because she's such a champion of, Maeve is painted as this really amazingly good character who, even when Norman Bright are Andrea, the stepmother's um, two daughters, when they come to live with them, Maeve doesn't hate them, even though one of them gets to take her room and yes. it all, yeah. like she could hate them yeah. and she doesn't and yeah. she looks after them and she's kind to them and she plays with them. But yet she doesn't show that same sympathy to Celeste who, really hasn't done anything wrong. Yes, that's and right. And is actually a really good wife she to Danny d- and, yeah. and a good mother yeah. to her uh, nieces, niece and nephew. So. But she's also living, Celeste is also living in these real constrained times because Danny is replicating mm. his father exactly. so much. Yeah. Exactly, that's what history repeats mm. itself over and over mm. and over in this mm. story. Um, it's it, You mentioned Anne Tyler and Elizabeth Strout. I mean, for me as well, I would put her up there with that. Oh, with kind yes. of um, Just when you know you're in safe hands with someone totally. who's writing. Oh, and yes, she's totally. a great... Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible, fact, but it's such a talk, skill. You know? We'd be talking about, you know, Christmas books or whatever. I was I was hoping to get this book for Christmas, so I was thrilled when we did it for the book club. But I think it's a real safe book to give so many friends. Yeah, and I'm very interested now to hear Bernice say Commonwealth. I, I will definitely well, read that. Well, another friend of mine said that when I mentioned I'd read this, mm. was reading this, she and said Bell Commonwealth. Can is that Bel Canto, one? Yeah. yeah, she won the big prize for Bel Canto, but Commonwealth is just—it's—it's not—it's again—it's about families, it's about relationships. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic! Oh, that's, it's that a real thriller of a novel. I felt as well, like you're turning each page mm. to try and see um, where what it's going to go, and yeah. it is—it's—it's it's, it's very well done going forward and back in the past. It's yeah. very yes, skillful. Yeah. That was the, irritating. The like it is sometimes yeah. in some books, but they, she did it very cleverly. She's very, she's obviously a great writer. Great writer. And it's also a very beautiful looking book. Can we just say oh, that yeah. as well? Yeah. Yes, the, the cover the is edition amazing. is completely beautiful. So mm. all in all, I have to say. And I love that we have the painting of Maeve on the front. It was the yes, one. Because I was dying right. for a painting of the house. Because yes. I just so want to see if it matches what I imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at least we have the painting of yes. Maeve on the front yeah, and the swallows. Portraits. and yeah. Um, yeah, portraits are very important in the book. Yeah. How we represent ourselves, mm-hmm. how people are represented. Mm-hmm. But I think Bernice has really hit the nail on the head with the fairy tale thing. I'm looking at it in a completely different way now, you know. Yeah. So I, that that was a good, was a good analogy there. Well, I think it's a mostly thumbs up, really. I mean, it's I loved it. Bernice loved it. Time. You guys liked it, but had yeah. some reservations. But we about couldn't it. stop reading it. Oh, but it yeah. was still a really <laughs> Would you recommend good, it as a book? Then? Absolutely, oh, yes. yeah. Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I, I In fact, I've already given mine away. It, my sister's already read it. My mother has already read it. <laughs> so you know, it's it's yeah, definitely. That was our book clubbers there, Anne Ingle, Neve Towie and Bernice Harrison talking about The Dutch House by Anne Patchett, which I really do recommend. And if you're looking for a present to give someone for Christmas, anyone who loves books will love that one. And do keep an eye out on Twitter um, and listen to the podcast to find out what book we'll be discussing next. And we'll have that for you in early January. The Irish Times Women's Podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition. Sumptuously smooth, dark chocolate.
Now, this piece of music is an original score created by our next guest, Emer Kinsler. It features in the short film In Orbit, which premiered at the Galway Film Festival this year. Emer is an Irish composer who's making a name for herself in the film and TV industry. She's contributed her talents to lots of Hollywood blockbusters, including Shazam, Hellboy and the hit Netflix series Sense8. She spoke to us from her home in LA about what it's really like to work in Hollywood and what inspires her musical pieces. Emer, how are you? I'm good. Great. Thanks for coming on the Women's Podcast all the way from LA. Um, Let's talk... First of all, about In Orbit, and later on we'll get to how you ended up in Los Angeles. But you were over recently for the Goal, uh, for the Galway Film Festival and Cork Film Festival um, earlier this year. Uh, tell us about In Orbit. Um, yeah, so In Orbit is a film by Katie McNeese. It's um, it's a LGBT film about two women and um, an optometrist who can't really see the world herself as, as she'd like. She sees it in kind of a, a lonely, isolated view. And then she meets someone who uh, kind of expands her viewpoint. And um, yeah, basically her world changes. So it's 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 like an introspective drama. Very nice, uh, beautiful film. <laughs> okay, well, listen, t- tell us about how you ended up in Los Angeles because you're a violinist and composer um, and you've had great success over there. But I presume it's not easy to break into that world, or did you find it easy? Um, no, it's not easy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's really kind of a mixture of just kind of meeting people and getting your work out there and just kind of seeing what happens. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I was in Dublin until I was 18, and then I moved to London to study violin performance, so I've played violin my whole life. Okay, but let's um, go back to Malahide then growing up. Was was it was there always music there? I mean, from a very young age, were you a child prodigy? <laughs> um, I started right at the age of two. Okay, two definitely a child prodigy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I grew up with uh, Young European Strings, uh, School of Music, Maria Kalman took students from the age of two. So when my mom seen a, an advertisement in the local newspaper, she was like, oh, that's great. Well, let's start, start you really early. Um, so, yeah, I was doing like competitions, the Fesh Kill, the RTE, um, playing in National Concert Hall there with uh, the YES Orchestra. Um, and, yeah, growing up basically with music as the main thing in my life. And was your were your family, the rest of your family musical, like your parents, is that why your mom wanted you to do it? Um, no, my, my mom was always interested in, uh, in music. I think she wanted to be like an opera singer, but she never really had the opportunity to go into that. So I think she was just very focused on making sure her, her, her children went into music. Isn't it great when us parents, um, you know, live our vicariously through our kids. I'm doing that with mine <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> the things we never got to do. We, we spend loads of money getting them to do it. <laughs> Um, and obviously you fell in love with music then because I mean I know from just seeing young people it's it's not something you can force people into if if it becomes something that's a pain or you don't want to practice then you just lose interest and that happens with a lot of people but it obviously didn't happen with you yeah from day one just was always kind of followed trajectory of violin and music yeah I know yeah my sister lost she was playing the viola for a bit she kind of lost interest in it but uh, yeah I was always just 
just loved music. I always didn't really think of doing anything else. <laughs> and was it a case of watching um, films as, as a younger person? Did you always notice the scores? Was that something that caught your interest? Yes. Um, yeah, I could always tell if I heard a piece of music anywhere, just like on the radio, I would immediately think, oh, I heard it in that film. Mm-hmm. Or Yeah, it just kind of connected film and music in my mind, like to my memory kind of instantly. So yeah, I can always, whenever I hear music, I tend to think of where I heard it first in a film. (laughs) I mean, being an artist in any genre is difficult, but I imagine breaking into music and actually making a living must be very tough. When was the break? Because I suppose people talk about that and it mightn't be huge, but when was the moment that it felt like, okay, this is the start of something, something big? Um, Probably when I came to LA and I got to work on um, Sense8 with Johnny Klimek which was done by the Wachowskis for Netflix. Um, yeah, just uh, being able to work with him and create my own sounds with uh, violin. And also uh, with him, we also worked on the film Jungle that has uh, stars Daniel Radcliffe. So yeah, probably probably working with Johnny was kind of the, f- the first thing, especially out here in L.A., and was was the move to LA something that you'd kind of thought about for a long time? I mean, you know, I know you grew up like probably I did watching Beverly Hills and things like that uh, <laughs> as a kid. Did it always appeal to you, that kind of Hollywood life? Uh, yes. Yeah, I always loved the idea of California. Um, I think, yeah, even I know my, my accent's quite probably sounds quite American now. Um, even when I was growing up in, in secondary school, like, some of the kids thought I was American just because <laughs> I watched too much American TV um, and had a little bit of the accent. So, yeah, I always just really liked um, the idea of L.A. and California and Hollywood. I'd, I'd spent a summer, like a year before going to Chicago, I spent a summer in New York. And my sister was actually doing a J1 and she was in New York for a year. So I went to visit her for the summer. Um, and I love New York, um, but I also always had this kind of gravity towards um, California and L.A. And I suppose being in L.A., you're close to all the studios. What's that like, like visiting them? And what, at the beginning, was it kind of, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm on a film set? Was there that kind of wonder at the beginning? Has um, that worn yeah. off? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've got to spend uh, time with... Uh, uh, remote control productions at Hans, Hans Zimmer Studios and with Ben Walfish and just being around big big productions like that. Um, it's yeah, it's it's just you know you get to really see what what goes on in, in a big block blockbuster film and what's involved and um, I guess yeah you just kind of get focused on whatever needs to be done really <laughs> and yeah just getting to work with the music teams is always is always really really great because every team is different and they have different approaches and yeah you learn a lot from from different people here as well and I think yeah it's great to just have access to all of that. Um, we we think of women in um, sort of uh, as composers of of scores and as you know the sort of names that come to mind are mostly men and it is a small number that are women and also the same with directors. Do you see that changing at all? Um, I see I see it changing a little bit. I've I've noticed certain projects going to more uh, female composers. Um, it still seems quite hard though to break in, and make sh- you know have your name kind of put forward and even if it is you know if if it's just kind of there in the lineup or if they're actually gonna go with the full way and and, you know take a female composer um so I think there's still a lot 
a lot of time still to be invested in it. But I've definitely, yeah, definitely noticed projects going to more female composers, which is which is great. When you're when you're not working, Emer, what sort of life do you have there, and what are the aspects of LA life that you really love? Um, <laughs> well, I love Venice Beach. Um, I live in Culver City, so it's not too far from Venice. Um, and just going to the beach. I've tried surfing a little bit, but not that often, so mm-hmm. not very good. <laughs> but I do like that. Yeah, just going going to films here. Um, usually, a lot of lot of events happening. Um, skateboarding. <laughs> oh, very good. Where'd you go skateboarding? Um, just around the neighborhood or, or Venice Beach. I've been listening to uh, a lot of Lana Del Rey's um, album with a song called Venice Bitch on it. It's very good. <laughs> You're actually living the uh, the Venice Beach life. Just whenever I can leave the, the cave of composing. So. Yeah, because is it quite solitary? I mean, it's, 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 I'd imagine it's that kind of thing. Well, it's obviously writing um, in a different way, writing music, and you're on your own a lot. Uh, do you mind that? Yeah, it can be quite solitary, yeah. Um, that can get, get hard sometimes. It's why it's nice to collaborate with other people, um, but there'll be often long, long stints of time where you just kind of have to stay in your room and, and compose. Um, so sometimes... That, that can be a little hard, um, which is why I like to get out and perform as well and have a mixture, kind of like a healthy balance. But yeah, definitely there it does it does require a lot of solitary time. <laughs> I imagine your family miss you. Do they come out and see you a lot? Or do you go home uh, a lot? They, they haven't actually been out to see me in LA yet. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I got there, where was I? T- just a, a week ago. I was there for two weeks. So that was for the... The Cork Festival and the Waterford Film Festival I got to see. And, yeah, I got to spend time in Dublin with my family. And my sister, actually, she lives in Sydney in Australia, so she was over at the same time randomly. We had a full house, um, so that was nice, yeah. Because, yeah, I don't get to go back too often. Have you put down roots in L.A. then, I mean, in terms of, you know, friends and, and really feeling like you're settled there now? Um, yeah, yeah, I think over, yeah, three years now in L.A., um, yeah, I think I've definitely got a got a wide network of uh, friends and yeah, just different supportive people. So yeah, I feel quite at, quite at home here. And what are your ambitions then? Because you've already done quite a lot, and you've also done a couple of um, films that have appeared at the LA Shorts International Film Festival. So you're you're you're, get, you're picking up a lot of work and quite high profile work. So have you got a plan for um, how you're going to conquer Hollywood completely? <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I'd love to be, you know, working with, um, more, more directors and more, um, like I, I love also art house kind of films. Um, so with, uh, yeah, with performing as well, I like performing with live loops as well on the violin. So kind of playing my own music as well. So, um, more of this, this mixture of, of playing my music, uh, live and then, Getting, getting, yeah, more films, more projects with unique, uh, unique directors and with unique stories. I really like being part of unusual and like emotional stories. So I think bigger and better projects are just going forward kind of thing. Um, When you look back at all the films you've watched and the soundtracks and scores that you've listened to, what have you found the most inspiring ones or the ones that you say, I wish I'd written that? Well, I'm a big fan of like uh, Clint Mansell and his like Requiem for a Dream. He worked on uh, a lot of the uh, Darren Aronofsky films and uh, Max Richter. 
he recently did part of Ad Astra, like Interstellar as well. Um, sometimes like these kind of big thinking of uh, life questioning kind of movies. Unconventional also, but I, I love using strings and, and using unconventional kind of techniques, kind of creating sounds and atmospheres and ethereal kind of spaces. Uh, so yeah, I think those kind of life questioning movies that I've seen have kind of impacted me the most with the scores. It must be very impossible for you to go to see a movie and not be totally tuned into the music where the rest of us might sort of notice it a little bit. Is it it's sort of everything when you're watching a movie? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so if, yeah, if the, if the, if the movie's not really captivating me, but the score is good, then I'll be happy that I have the score to listen to. <laughs> um, but um, if, yeah, mostly I'll be listening out for how how the score like works with with the visuals and so uh, yeah I'm de- definitely always listening out to the score. Recently there was something I seen where I was like oh the score the score is really interesting but I wasn't so into the film but it kept me you know, it kept me watching. <laughs> well, finally you must be uh, very grateful to your mom for having the foresight to ring up about your two year old uh, violin lessons because I suppose it set you off on a very interesting path that you're so passionate about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's been, yeah, no, a life, lifelong pursuit. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, we wish you all the best of luck in all your other pursuits and I'm sure you're going to have a lot more success. Um, and thank you very much for joining us on the Women's Podcast. And that's it for today. Thanks very much again to our guests, Bernice Harrison, Anne Ingle, Neve Towie and Emer Kinsella. Remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Spotify, Acast and all good podcast apps. If you want to get in touch, we're on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast or you can email us on thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle and by Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. Until next time, thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.